0: Uh, Pastor Doug is uh, not here with us this week. He'll be back next week after the wedding. Uh, And so uh, we've got a special service for you next week. Make sure you're there at 10 o'clock. Ricky will tell you more about that a little bit later. But we're going to finish the the last words. Last week we looked at the first words from the book of Philippians. So if you want to open your Bible to the book of Philippians, feel free to do that. And last week I mentioned that I had retired after 45 years of teaching and that I was coming into an undiscovered country. And my thesis was that we all come into undiscovered countries. There are times in our lives when when we don't know exactly what awaits. It could be good, it could be bad. We don't know what the journey holds for us and that we need to be ready for it. We need to be, uh, that God can help us to be ready for that undiscovered country. When I was uh, teaching handicapped um, children, uh, they they came to me at three years old, and the parents were grieving. Uh, Parents would, uh, uh, they, they had this dream of their perfect child, and their perfect child wasn't exactly what they thought it would be. And one of the things that I used to share with the parents was this story called the beauty of Holland, and let me share it with you, with the idea of our undiscovered countries that we're headed towards too. I'm often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability. To try to help people, I have not shared that unique experience to understand it, to imagine how it would feel. It's like this. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous trip, vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks. You make your wonderful plans. The Colosseum, the Michelangelo, David, gondolas in Venice. You may learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. After months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. Several hours later, the plane lands. The flight attendant comes in and says, welcome to Holland. Holland? What do you mean Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life I've dreamed of being in Italy. But there's been a change in the flight plan. They've landed in Holland, and there you must stay. The important thing is that they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of pestilence, famine, and disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out and buy new guidebooks. You must learn an entirely new language. You'll meet a whole group of new people you never would have met otherwise. It's just a different place. It's slower paced than Italy. It's less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while and you catch your breath, you look around and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills. Holland has tulips. Holland has Rembrandts. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy, and, you're all, and they're all bragging about what a wonderful time that they had there. And for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. The pain will never, ever, ever go away because the loss of that dream is a very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely things about Holland. Whatever undiscovered country lies ahead of you, be ready to experience whatever God has in store for you. It may not be what we expect. It may not be uh, what, what we thought, what we planned. But with God on our side, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be a wonderful trip. And most of the parents that I shared that with, as they got to know the therapists and the physical, physical and occupational therapists and the doctors and the nurses, they realized, you know, this is going to work. This is going to be a beautiful thing. It's going to be one. It's not what we thought, but it's going to be wonderful. And, and that's the kind of thing that we need to do too. God wants to weave together all the tangled threads of our lives into a beautiful tapestry. The book of Ecclesiastes says God made everything beautiful in its time. You know, I'm I'm an old band director, and it it, it reminds me of the fact of a symphony orchestra or a band, Uh, 50 different instruments brought together under the Lord's direction to make a unique and beautiful symphony. That's, that's part of what God has called us to do, to make a symphony, to make a masterpiece out of our lives. Whether it's in Italy or in Holland, whatever God has for us, we need to accept it and move on into it and find the beauty that's there. Uh, As I said last week, the book of Philippians has been uh, a helpful book for me. Every time I come into some difficult situations, I can always go there. There's always some kind of a scripture there. And that's what we've been doing these last uh, couple of weeks. Last week, we looked at his first words. This week, we're going to look at his last words. But if you remember, the book was written by Paul while he was in prison for about two years in Rome, most probably, He was awaiting judgment that would affect his liberty and quite possibly his life. And the church at Philippi was the last of Paul's churches that was west of the Aegean that he had seen before he went to Jerusalem and then later was sent in chains to Rome and where he was now two years later. That church started by Lydia and the Philippian jeweler, uh, jeweler, jailer. Uh, That church shared with Paul all during his ministry. They gave to him abundantly. They sent Epaphroditus with a gift when he was in Rome in the prison there. And Epaphroditus brought it and got sick on the way and almost died. And so Paul, in writing the book of Philippians, is writing to them to let them know that he's okay And that Epaphroditus has made it, so he's sending back greetings to the Philippians church, telling them, look out, these are things that are important, these are things that that I want you to remember. I don't know what's going to happen here, I know it's going to work out for my good, that's what we talked about last week, but I I know there there are some things that you need to, to hear from Epaphroditus about what's going on. And so that's where we are today. Uh, We're going to look at uh, Philippians and we're going to start in uh, chapter 3. Because in chapter 3, he says, finally, that's that's where he's come to the end of the letter, it looks like. And so this is where we're going to pick it up. Let's look at chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard to you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Excuse me. In the midst of Paul saying goodbye to the Philippians, something occurs to him. He starts out by rejoicing. He rejoices, and all through this book, you'll, you'll hear him rejoice. And he says, it, I'm, I, I want to rejoice. In fact, it, it's something that uh, is no trouble for me to tell you. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. When you find yourself in difficult situations, you should always hear that voice in the back of your mind saying, Rejoice. Whatever happens, whether good or bad, rejoice. Sometimes we forget that voice. We, we don't let that voice come out. Uh, When things are good, we're, we're, we're ready to do it. But when things are bad, we need to hear that voice of rejoicing. And that's what Paul starts out with. Finally, my brethren, I want you to remember to rejoice because it's a safeguard for you. It's something that will help you through your life. Every time something happens, rejoice in it. And so he says, I'm going to tell it to you over and over and over and over again. Rejoicing is critical to living the kind of life that we want in this undiscovered country that we're finding. And, um, and then after he says that, he, he, he pauses. It, it almost seems like, Hey, wait a minute. There's something important that I've got to tell you. There's something serious that you have to hear. Instead of just going on to say goodbye and 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 you know end the letter at this point, that's what it looks like he should have done. But instead he says, wait a minute, I, I remember there there's there's dogs out there. Beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. They need to be on the lookout for heresy creeping into the church. In the church of Corinth and in the church of Galatia, Judaizers have infiltrated the church and are causing great damage to the freedom of grace that the gospel brings. See, these are two things Paul has already written to the Galatians, he's already written to the Corinthians, and, and he's tried to correct the error that the Judaizers have brought into the church. And basically they're saying, in order for you to be a Christian, you need to be a good Jew first. You need to follow all the Jewish laws, you need to be circumcised, you need to follow everything according to the law, you need to be a good Pharisee before you can be a good Christian. And Paul is saying, that's heresy. That's heresy. Be on the lookout for it. Um, And, you know, Paul and God has always thought that the true circumcision is not circumcision that's physical on the outside. True circumcision is of the heart. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 16 because this goes all the way back into the Old Testament. It's not just a New Testament idea that circumcision is not that critical for being part of the body of, of uh, Israel or being part of Christ. And uh, Deuteronomy 10, 16 says, So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. You know, the people of Israel stiffen their neck. They, they circumcised the outward appearance. They did all the, the, the letters of the law, but they missed the spirit of the law. It wasn't just that we were supposed to do the outward appearance, but your heart needed to change. Your, the circumcision of the heart needed to come out. And then in Romans 2.29, if you turn to the book of Romans, chapter 2, and verse 29. <clears throat> but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. It has always been God's intent for us not just to do follow outward ritual, but to have something in your heart change, that your heart becomes different. It's a matter of the heart. It's not just following rules and doing things the way people say you ought to do. It's a matter of having your heart different. And today in our church, there are a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of chaos out there. There's a lot of teaching out there that is not biblical. And our pastor, Doug, has been very faithful to teach us doctrinally, to go through the Bible. We just went through Genesis because it was important for us to have doctrine. It was important for us to know the truth, not to be led away by heresy, not to be led away by our own thinking, not to be led away by what we think God wants, but to do what God actually wants. And today there are health, wealth, and prosperity preachers that muddy the doctrinal waters, not only here in the United States, but over in Africa and the third, well, what they call the third world, uh, they're muddying the waters because people are not getting the absolute truth. They're, they're getting a syncretistic mishmash of ideas instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be on the lookout for that so that it doesn't creep into our own churches. Um, I remember I taught, I preached in a church in Mira Loma, a four-square church at Pentecostal, And in the Pentecostal church, there's a lot of that kind of teaching. There's a lot of of difficult teaching that needed to be preached against. And I I remember being there for nine years and and, uh, maybe not a week went by without something being said of looking out for that. Yes, God has plans for us to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, but it's not always here. It's always there. When we get to heaven, when we get to to, uh, to our final destination, God's going to have that all. He may bless you with some, but he's not required to do it. He's not a vending machine. God is not a vending machine where you do da 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 and out it comes. It's not going to happen that way. And so we need to be aware of that kind of teaching in the church and stay away from it. We need to be aware of progressive and liberal theologies that are in our seminaries and higher institutions of learning. We need to be aware of those and stay away from them, not allow them to lead us astray into wrong thinking or wrong doctrine. Praise God for our church praise God for our pastor who has a heart to teach us week in and week out what the truth is and and just like Paul's heart Doug's heart is that we stay away from heresy that we stay away from wrong teaching that we stay away from those things Um, you know it's it's always the voice of our selfish sin that wants to take back control from God and do what is right in our own eyes instead of following what God has planned for us. We need to be firm and recognize that that's out there. And then Paul goes on and he says he refers to them as dogs. You know, dogs, one of the things about dogs, they were considered unclean, in part because they would eat anything. Um, And another scripture says something, the dog will come back to his vomit, and he'll eat it up. I mean, dogs are not critical about what they eat. They'll eat anything. Well, he's saying that to us too. Don't eat everything that you come in contact with. You've got to have some discernment about what you eat. You've got to have some discernment about what you take in spiritually into your life. Don't just allow everything to come in. Be critical of it. Be doctrinally aware of what's going on. We need to know the truth. We need to, to understand those kinds of things. Um, And this is not a new problem. Paul was saying that in the Judaizers of his day. All throughout history, there have been problems with that. Uh, Back 150 years ago, a guy named Haddon Spurgeon was the prince of preachers at that time. And and he wrote uh, something called Going Against the Stream. I'm not going to read it all for you, but I'll just kind of summarize it for you. And he, he talks about living fish may go down the stream at times, but dead fish must always do so. There are plenty of such in all waters. Dead souls, as far as truest life is concerned, they're always drifting, drifting, drifting. And we need to be live fish. We, dead fish go along with the stream. They go along with whatever, and that's the only way they can go. Live fish can go against the stream. Live fish can, can find the truth. Uh, Come, my heart, canst thou not go against the stream? It is the way of life. The opposing waters will wash and cleanse thee, and thou shalt ascend into the eternal riverhead, and be near and like thy God. That, that's always been a problem, not going along with the crowd, not floating down the river, but being willing to turn and go against the tide of that river, whatever it is, doctrinally, um, life, you know, riches in life, things happening to us. We need to be able to stand firm for what God has for it. The opposing waters will wash and cleanse us. But how do we know the truth from heresy? How do we know the truth from heresy? Well, I think you probably know this. This is critical, right? This is critical, knowing this, knowing the Word of God. Um, in, in the U.S. Treasury, in order to find out, uh, to tell the difference between counterfeit bills and real bills, they allow the tellers and the people in there to spend a lot of time with the real stuff. They know how it feels. They know how it smells. They know how it tastes, I guess. They, they know all about the real stuff. They, they they bombard them with that and then after they've been bombarded with all this real stuff and the truth, then they'll slip in a counterfeit and they know. This isn't real. This this isn't a real bill and they can pick it out. But the only reason that they do that is because they've been bombarded. They've been filled to the brim and overflowing with the real stuff. We've got to be filled to the overflowing with the real stuff we got to come to church every Sunday we got to hear the messages maybe even hear them twice you know we've got a website you can hear it again you don't have to just hear it once you can hear it again and then we've got home groups where you can talk about it and see hey how do I put this into practice how do I do what I'm supposed to or you can ask a question I heard this on the radio is this true And and talk about it and and ask questions because it's all about relationships, isn't it? Relationships, whether it's in the church of God or even in our families, to spend time talking about it with our husbands and our wives, to, to know the truth. The Holy Spirit is within each and every one of you. And the Holy Spirit is there to help lead us and guide us in all truth. We can depend on the Holy Spirit. As we open the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will illuminate our minds and illuminate our thinking so that we, we can understand that. And then we, we have other people that help us to understand the truth too. And I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later too. But we need to do it by God's grace and not our own work, workmanship. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. This is part of the letter that uh, Paul wrote to the Galatian church that were really be, being attacked by the Judaizers. And um, he has some pretty strong words to the Galatian church. It's in here. There it is. Okay. So uh, look at uh, Galatians 3, and we're going to look 1 through 3, specifically verse 3, but You foolish Galatians! Woo! All right. Who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being made made perfected by the flesh? Those Judaizers were saying, you got to do, do, do all of the things that uh, the Jews do. And Paul is saying, you foolish Galatians. It began in the Spirit. It's going to continue in the Spirit. The Spirit will help you. The Spirit will teach you. The Spirit will give you insight into what is true and what is not true. Don't attempt to finish the work of grace through our own flesh. Our salvation is not dependent upon what we do, but it is a work of grace from start to finish. And he, he, he continues on in the book of Philippians by boasting about, hey, if anyone can boast about who they are and what they've done as a Jew, it's me. I, I'm, I'm, I've been born, my parentage is absolutely spotless. My genealogy is great. I have an impeccable genealogy. I'm a Pharisee. I'm I'm a leader of the Pharisee. I'm fundamental in my belief. I zealously persecuted the church. I was faultless and sincere, blameless in everything that I did. But that means nothing. That means nothing. He could boast in all those things, but it doesn't make any difference. What's important is that you finish it in the Spirit. You allow the Spirit of God to finish the work that He has begun in you. You, you can make, have Him uh, bring out the melody that's within each and every one of us. God wants to make a masterpiece out of us. Amen? He wants to do great things. And so that's, that's the first thing that we need to look at. All right. Going on. Back in Philippians, verse 7 through 11. Okay, let me get the right place. And Paul goes on, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, my, Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, dung, What Paul formally thought regarded as achievement, what he just said, if I'm going to boast about all of these things, he says they are failures. They are abject failures. That's not what we need. We can't look back. We need to look forward to a daily walk of dependence upon God. Everything else is not merely valueless, but it has a negative value. It's rubbish. It's dung. It's the filthy... Uh, things from a a woman's period. Those are the kinds of things. They have no value at all. They're just good for rubbish. All of the things that he once thought were good, they're, um, they're, they're nothing. And so we live in a country that has an abundance of luxury. It's so easy for us to be swept away by things. Everything we have has been given to us by God for His glory and use. And we need to hold on to things loosely. Paul didn't look at all those things and say, look at me, look at what I've done, look at how I live you know, my life as a, as a Pharisee. He, he said, that's all rubbish. That's all dung. He, he held it all loosely. He gave it up. Um, I remember when um, my, God called my wife and I to go to seminary And uh, we left a full-time job teaching band and choir in 29 Palms at the junior high and high school and uh, took a complete cut in pay and went on support as a missionary. The seminary that I went to in San Bernardino said you had to raise your own support. And so I went around to people all throughout 29 Palms and Yucca Valley and, and I raised support and came up with the sterling sum of $2000 a month that was promised to come in every month while I was in seminary and I got to seminary and lo and behold it didn't all come in it it, it, it was a, a time of testing for us to see you know are we going to grasp at things and try and figure this out or are we going to trust God are we going to hold things loosely and let God supply our needs or are we going to try and figure it all out myself? And and that was my challenge. A lot of times is trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do to do this instead of saying, God, how are you going to do it? And and it was a battle. You know, some days were good, some days were not. There are some times when I thought, I don't know how this is going to happen. But looking back over it, after four years, we went through four years of seminary. Every bill was paid. We we had kids that were in Christian school for uh, the the years that they were there. They started in Christian school. Everything was paid for. God supplied our need. On $2,000 a month that didn't always come, God supplied our need. He he was always there with something when we needed it. It was exciting sometimes to get up. You know, I remember getting up one day, getting out to my old... uh, Uh, Blue Ford and the the, the tire is flat. And we don't have money to buy a new tire or even get it fixed. Didn't even have 10 bucks to be able to get it fixed. And so I'm sitting there and I'm praising, you know, trying to say rejoice in the Lord. Uh, And all of a sudden my neighbor, Bill, he likes to go around trash cans and picks up stuff. He comes down the street and he's pushing the tire. I look at the tire it's exactly the right size <laughs> so I take the tire off put the new one on I say thank you Bill you, you've been a blessing from God and I'm on my way and, and over and over God supplied our need and and that's because we learned how to hold things loosely it, it wasn't because I was doing it. it wasn't because God you know it was because God did it God did it God wants us to hold things loosely Not get wrapped up in in all of the things of this life, but to hold them loosely and realize that He is in control. He is going to supply our need no matter where we are. And then Paul goes on to talk about the surpassing value (coughs) of knowing God. That knowing Jesus is personal knowledge. It includes the experience of being loved by Him and loving Him in return and loving others for His sake. It's the only knowledge worth having. It is transcendent in value. It compensates for the loss of everything. To be found in Him, to gain Christ by living in union with Him, having a righteousness that comes from God through faith rather than one that comes through His law and His own works, those are the things that He Was looking for. He goes on to say that he might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, so that he might attain the resurrection from the dead. The love of God has been supremely demonstrated in the death of Christ. His power is supremely demonstrated in the resurrection. And those who are united by faith with the risen Christ have this power imparted to them. This empower, this power enables us to ignore the dictates and enticements of sin and to lead a life of holiness which pleases God. To know him. We need to know him. You know, just like in a symphony orchestra, you've got different parts. I play French horn in the Merino Valley community band, and uh, I've I've done that for, for years. But when I come to the band. I need to know my part. I need to have it down. I need to be able to play all the notes. I need to play them when they're supposed to be played. I need to be them at the right volume, the right and consistent. Every, all of that needs to be done. If you're going to be a member of a symphony orchestra, you need to be able to know your part. You need to know what God has called you to do Intimately. And, and so that when you go in together and you put it all together to practice it, we need to be ready to, to see how our parts fit in with the other parts. Our church is a symphony of God's love. That, that's what the church is. It, it's supposed to be the manifestation of God's love to the world. And we're all supposed to play our parts our parts of love, our parts of being able to, to, to meet this need, to do that, to, to listen, to hear. Just like we were talking about last week, we need to have those things together. But we need to know them because unless we play those parts right, then the symphony is not going to be right. There, there's going to be something missing. You know, If the horn part isn't there, it's, it's no good in my estimation. You know. The horn part is the most important part of the whole thing. So that, that, that's got to be there. Um, uh, and a trumpet player would tell you something different. You know? but, but we all have to have that knowledge. We have to know. We need to be able to hear how it sounds so that we can modulate our playing so that it fits together as best with others. That's what we did in VBS. We fit all those parts together into a symphony of love that, that, that affected the children of this church and of this community. We made a difference in their lives because of what God did in us and through us. Amen? So that's part of what God wants us to do. Hold things loosely and be ready to play our part whenever that comes up. And then moving on. In Philippians, uh, verse 12, it says, Press on to receive the prize. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Paul is saying that we've got to press on. No, as long as this mortal life lasts, we need to press on. There is further progress to be made. Not until the end of the race is the prize awarded. Amen? He, he uses this athletic endeavor uh, to make his point that, that you don't get the prize until the whole race is won, until the whole race is done. There will never come a time in this life when we attain perfection. We will never reach a point where there is no further spiritual progress possible. There is never going to be nothing left to aim at beyond which the, the point that we have reached. Our purpose always remains to be grasped. You know, We don't look over our shoulders to see how the race is going. We, we keep our eyes on the goal. The goal is the prize, the prize that I aim to secure. And let's take a look at first, or 2 Timothy 4, 8, talking about that prize. Another book by uh, Paul, 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. You know, he, Paul at this point in, in writing to Timothy is ready to be poured out. He's ready to die He's he's finished the course. He's he's held everything loosely and he's ready to go. And And he says, In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. He's looking forward to that crown. He's looking forward to that. His eyes are on the prize. And that's what he's telling uh, the Philippians too. Keep your eyes on the prize. And then he goes on in verse 8. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. How many of you loved his appearing? Have you loved his appearing? The appearing of Jesus in your lives? That's right. That means the prize is for you. That we need to keep that prize in front of us. We need to press on to, keep the pri- to receive the prize. And Paul says, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. The attitude of the mature should be one in which we stand in line or march in line together. It's not a matter of our individual achievement, but we do it together as a body of Christ. And back in Philippians, that's what he's talking about, that we're marching in line for that prize. We're all moving towards that prize. Not just Paul. Paul. Not just our leaders, but each and every one of us is moving towards the prize. And that prize is secure. He says it's going to happen. It will be awarded. And you will receive that prize, the crown of righteousness. Hallelujah. I look forward to that day. I look forward to that day. And until then, I'm going to practice congruence. I'm going to walk my talk and and talk my walk and, and, and just do what God has called me to do. I'm going to play my part so well. That love is just going to flow out of me as much as I can. That's what Paul is urging them to do. To to do all of those things. To follow the prize. To press on towards the prize. Amen? Press on. And then we're going to press on to the next section in Philippians. i just got to get back to it. And then he says, follow my example. Brethren, join in following my example, and observe those who walk in accord who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. God is is waiting to conform us into His image. God is waiting to move us forward. And Paul says, follow my example. As I follow Christ, you follow me. Paul makes himself an exam all throughout his books. He, he's always talking about imitating. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 11 1 says that. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Now, you've got to be careful too. Uh, You know, we need to imitate him only as far as he imitates Christ. Because sometimes, you know, we don't always imitate Christ completely. Pastor Doug has said that too. Sometimes we we need to follow Doug, but only as far as he's following Christ. You, You can't just follow somebody blindly. You need to have some discernment about that too. Just like he was talking about the the heretical teaching at the beginning of this little section. He he brings that back. But he says we need to imitate him as he imitates Christ. You know, one of the critical people in a symphony orchestra is the conductor. The conductor stands up there, and and he tells everybody how loud to play, which part comes out a little bit stronger, how, you know, he he tells the violins to be quiet, he tells the trumpets to uh, come a little bit louder, and he always tells the drums to stop, because the drums always are doing something that they're not supposed to do, but uh, that's just my experience as a band director, but... Anyway, the the conductor is critical. He has to orchestrate. He has to make sure that everything happens the way the composer intended it. He has the whole score. He's got everything. Each person only has their part, but he's got the whole score. And he knows that that French horn part wasn't that important at that point, so you got to be quiet and let the trumpets come out because that's the important voice that needs to be heard. The conductor does that and we need to follow him. We need to do exactly what the conductor says so that the symphony that comes out is a beautiful piece of music, not just a mismatch of all these different parts put together. It's the conductor that does that. And and I think that's what Paul had in mind here, that that follow me as I follow Christ. Now, ultimately, it's the, the composer writes the music. He lays it all down. That's God's, you know, God puts it all together. And, and the conductor is, is leading us and telling us to come out. You know, those are our leaders and, and people there. They're section leaders. You know, when we come to a sectional, the French horn uh, leader, the first horn, always tells us, okay, you got to do this, you got to do that. And, and this part is very... You know, he, he lays it all out. He communicates to us what are, are needed. He communicates our expectations so that we, we know exactly what the conductor wants. We know exactly what it's supposed to sound like uh, because those, those things are communicated to us by our leaders. That's what Paul is talking about. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Um, one, uh, a phrase I heard, I, I want you to listen to it. I'm going to say it twice. Uncommunicated expectations are premeditated disappointments uncommunicated expectations are premeditated disappointments we need to communicate clearly we need to communicate things to people we need to let them know what the expectations are because if we don't disappointments are going to happen they're premeditated disappointments communication is critical uh, we're in a body of Christ. We need to have those relationships with one another. We need to follow C- Christ ultimately. But we follow different people at different times. I have a, a brother that meets with me every Saturday. And, and we've been meeting for eight or nine years. Uh, and holding each other accountable for, for issues in our lives that, that we need to. Uh, we, we have family that we come together with and talk about things and we, we've had Bible studies with our family members. We we've go to uh, grace groups and the, the, those are places where those, those expectations are communicated. We need to communicate uh, what is expected as, of us. Amen? And then Paul warns them about those others whose examples would be harmful, not helpful. Uh, the Judaizers is what he has in mind, but those people, some people hold very extreme a, a, ascetic ideas of kind of beating yourself and get, getting yourself under control, or some people have very libertarian ideas that whatever, you do whatever you want and it's, it's fine. It, we, we need to understand that those things lead to destruction. And they says their gods are their appetite. That's what he says in here. Uh, Euripides in the book Cyclops says, I offer sacrifice to no other god but myself and to this belly of mine, the greatest of divinities. That's the way the world thinks. That's the the way the world thinks. And and that's what he's saying. He he goes back to that warning. He warned them at the beginning about heresy and now he's warning them again as he's coming to the close of his section. their, Their end is destruction. Their glory is in their shame. They set their minds on earthly things. We do not need to set our minds on earthly things. We need to set our minds on godly things. We need to follow Paul as he follows Christ. And our citizenship is in heaven. We don't belong here. This is not our home. Our ultimate home is heaven. Amen? That's what we're getting ready for. And all of this is so that we can become citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is already there. We've got the passport. It's been done. (laughs) Hallelujah. We're just waiting for us to get there. We're waiting to get there. And so these Philippians, they'd know about citizenship. They were a Roman colony. And citizenship was a big deal. If you were a Roman citizen, you had certain privileges. You could do things that other people couldn't do. Well, as citizens of heaven, we have certain privileges too. We're going to live forever. We're going to rule the universe. We're going to be with God forever. I mean, that's pretty good citizenship, you know. That's pretty good benefits. And and so he's saying all of those things are going to happen. He has the power to do all of those things. He's going to conform us. Into that citizenship when he comes again. In the twinkling of an eye. When the trumpet shall sound. We sang about that. The trumpet shall sound. And we shall be changed. And we shall be like him. We shall be like him. I look forward to that time. Amen? And then finally in chapter 4 and verse 1. The end of his finally section. And then he gets into some personal things at the end. But he says, Therefore... My beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And as Doug said, whenever you see a therefore, you got to ask yourself, why is it therefore? What's it there for? And it's, it's saying... Going back to what he just said from finally on, he says, therefore, because of all the things that I've said, because of the warning that I gave you, because of of making sure you're pressing on towards the Christ, because of, of, of holding things loosely, because of all the things that I said, stand firm. Stand firm. He expresses his joy and pride in the Philippians by calling them his crown. He urges them to finish well to stand firm in all that he taught them and all that they have been doing, doing to spread the gospel with him. This has been a great relationship with them. And he says, now, stand firm. Do exactly what God has called you to do. Sometimes we have regrets in our life. Sometimes we miss the mark and, and, and we don't do everything exactly the way God uh, would have us do. But God is a forgiving God. God is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh chances. He's, he's always there. And even in, um, David had that same situation. I, I want to read something from uh, Wednesday's daily Bible reading. It was, it was my birthday this last Wednesday, uh, 67 years young, and I'm, you know, ready for my undiscovered country, but. This this is what was written on uh, August 7th. As a child, she had hurled vicious words at her parents. Little did she know that those words would be her last interaction with them. Now, even after years of counseling, she can't forgive herself. Guilt and regret paralyze her. We all live with regrets, some of them quite terrible. But the Bible shows us a way through the guilt. Let's look at one example. There's no sugarcoating what King David did. It was a time when kings go off to war, but David remained in Jerusalem. Away from the battle, he stole another man's wife and tried to cover it up with murder. God stopped David's downward plunge, but the king would live with the rest of his life with the knowledge of his sins. While David was rising from the ashes, his general Joab was winning the battle David should have been leading. Joab challenged David, now muster the rest of the troops and besiege the city and capture it. And David finally got back to his God-appointed place as the leader of his nation and his army. When we permit our past to crush us, in effect, we're telling God his grace isn't enough. Regardless of what we've done, our Father extends His complete forgiveness to us. We can find, as David did, grace enough to get back in the bottle. No matter what we've done, whatever's happened in us, God forgives us, and God gives us another chance. We just need to step up to it. We need to stand firm in what we have been taught. We need to press on towards the prize. Um, If you're depressed, you're living in the past. If you're anxious, you're living in the future. If you are at peace, you're living in the present. We need to be at peace. We need to have God within us. We need to allow His peace that passes understanding to help us to stand firm and not live in the past, not let the past crush us. Stand firm. Stand firm. So in conclusion... In your undiscovered countries, be alert for false teaching and stay true to the gospel. Don't be allured by the riches of this world. Hold all things loosely and at God's command. Press on towards the prize that God has for us all. Follow Paul's example as he follows Christ and stand firm in all that he has taught us. God is working through all the chaos of this world to create a masterpiece, a symphony of God's love in the world through each and every one of us. Listen to this song that kind of puts that together. God is writing a symphony in us and through us. And we just need to play our parts. We need to love the people that God has called us to. So I want to close with prayer and a a benediction from Philippians 4, verses 8 through 9. So if you could pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word to us this day. Father, thank you for working in through the chaos, Lord, through the madness, through all the things that we go through, Lord. You're writing a symphony of love. You're writing a symphony of love to the world through us and to us, Lord. Help us to be the conduits that you've called us to be, Lord. And we give you the praise for it. So finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And everyone said, Amen. 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 God bless you.